the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Jesus had been working many miracles all around the area. The blind got their sight back. The lame walked. The demon-possessed were set free. The sick were healed, and the dead were raised back to life. Jesus sent the disciples on a mission to preach the gospel of repentance and heal people all around. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 9. Well, Luke chapter 9 is where we're at today, and we see the love of God at his own expense. We're actually going to see Jesus talk about that, how he had, what he had left and what he had to endure in his love for us. We're going to study that today. So chapter 9 of the book of Luke, we're going to do verses 37 through 48. This will be a two-part message. I usually don't do that, but the whole theme of the end of this chapter is too much to cover in one, one morning, but it's the same theme. We're going to do verses 37 through 48. Where we left off was Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration. He had been transfigured up there. So Jesus has just spoken to Moses and Elijah about his mission to die on the cross. And God is, as he's there, and and they're talking about that, God in, in his glory, the Shekinah glory comes on the mountain, and God has now spoken to the disciples about their need to listen to his son. They need to listen to Jesus. Instead of holding on to the popular idea that was floating around there in Jesus' day about the Messiah, they need to listen to what Jesus was saying about his mission. And Jesus' mission culminates in the cross. Um, The cross isn't the exact step. He's not going to go down the hill and get on a cross. There are still hurting people, and the cross is in the distance. It's getting closer, but it's still in the distance. And so Jesus continues the ministry that was prophesied that he would do in Isaiah 61, that he would bind up the brokenhearted, that he would set the captives free, that he would preach the gospel to the poor and heal those who were needed to be made whole. So while this is all going on, though, the disciples just don't get it. Even though Jesus had told them what his mission is, and that right now he's ministering to hurting people, but it's all always heading towards the cross, the disciples just don't get it. And so as we see why their idea, their idea of the Messiah is so wrong, may we as the church today, may we see the church's true mission through the example of Christ that we might be faithful to follow in his footsteps. So the church's mission is what we're going to talk about today, verse 37. And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, the mountain, much people met him. And behold, A man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech you, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit takes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it tears him so that he foams again, and bruising him, it hardly departs from him. And I besought your disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring your son hither. 
We start off here and a crowd is waiting for Jesus at the bottom of the mountain. Now, while the crowds are not as big and Jesus' disciples, they're thinner because remember, people are starting to reject Jesus. We see that in John 6. John 6 occurs between verses 17 and 18 of Luke 9 where some of his disciples stop following him, many of the crowds stop following him. Even though that's true, people still congregate wherever he is though. He's still healing people, he's still helping people. And so the disciples who didn't go up to the mountain to pray with Jesus, and then to experience the transfiguration, they're all down in the valley trying to serve the people in Jesus' absence. I think that's important because people often ask me, they say, how do you spread the gospel in a culture that's hostile towards Christianity? We live in one. We live in a culture that's hostile towards Christianity. How do you spread the gospel like that? Well, listen, guys, there are always needs out there. There are always hurting people. And the only question is, are we reaching out to them? The other option isn't okay. If we're just bitter at the culture and frustrated at the state of the nation and frustrated at the state of the culture, we're not going to see the needs that are out there and we're never going to get an opportunity to to preach the gospel. We need to see the needs that are out there. We need to see the hurting people. We need to do what Jesus did and go where they are and love them. And when we do that, we're going to get plenty of opportunities to share Christ. When the crowd sees Jesus coming, one man in particular begs for special help. It says, and behold, a man of the company, the crowd, he cries out saying, Master, I beseech you, which means to beg. I beg you. It means to plead with urgency. I mean, this guy is, he's probably bowing before Jesus. He's pleading with him and saying, you know, Master, I beg you, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. The phrase there, look upon, it's, it's actually a command. It means you must, you must pay special attention to my son. We're not to command God in our prayers at all. So this is kind of a unique request here that he would do this, a heavy request to tell Jesus he has to do something. And yet it's a uniquely sad situation that has prompted him to maybe even get rid of some of the formality that might normally be there when you make a request of Jesus. And so he, he pleads with Jesus, you must do this for me. What's the sad situation? Well, it says that, lo, a spirit takes him. It means to seize or grab hold of him. This kid has a, a demon inside of him that grabs hold of him. And it says he, when it grabs hold of him, will know because he suddenly cries out. Immediately upon the demon, demon's influence, he begins to shout and scream. And it's in the present tense, which means he'll just carry on like that for a while. And in, in the carrying on of that, of the shouting and screaming, the, the demon, through that, it triggers something in the kid. It says, and it tears him. The, the, it kind of sounds like a violent thing that the demon does to him, but the idea here is that he begins to shake violently or he begins to convulse. So he begins to convulse so much that he foams again, foams at the mouth. Now, this is the typical result of what's called a tonic-clonic seizure. Um, we used to call it a grand mal seizure, but I've learned they don't call it that anymore. Things you learn from studying the Bible, all sorts of cool things. This is the big one. This is the bad one. This is this child has a health condition where he has epileptic seizures. And the trauma of the demon seizing him and, and creating all that fear and all that anxiety, it triggers his epileptic seizures. And as a result, it bruises him. Muscle soreness is the most common thing that when you have a, a, one of these seizures, you, you're not aware. You go completely out. You're not aware of what's going on. And as a result, when you come to, one of the first things they complain about is muscle soreness because all the muscles are seizing up. They're all out of control. They're shaking violently. They're doing things they were not intended to do. And 
and so it can be very painful. And so that's what it's referring to here. He has a soreness afterwards. And, and then he explains, we can hardly, with difficulty, can we only get the demon to depart from him, to leave him alone. So it, had, it took a lot to get the demon to leave the boy alone. Now, we're not told how they would get the demon to leave him alone. I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate. But the point is, by that time, the damage is done. He's had a seizure. He's gone through this traumatic experience. The child is obviously devastated. He's in pain. It's a horrible, horrible thing. How evil is our enemy that he would do this to not just a child, but a sick child? He doesn't just do this to a child. That'd be bad enough, but he does this to a sick child, a child who has problems physically, is already goes through trauma. That is how evil our enemy is. In John 8, 44, Jesus, when they, they accused him of being demon-possessed, he explained to them, he goes, you guys are the ones who are under the influence of the devil. You're the ones trying to kill me. I haven't tried to kill anybody. And he explains by describing what the devil's like. He says in verse 44 of John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust, the desires of your father, you're going to do, you're going to fulfill. That's what you're going to carry out. So what is he like? Well, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode. He didn't remain in the, he remained not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So listen, this is what he's out to do. He is out to kill you and to deceive you. Both, that's all he'll ever do. So he's going to try to trick you, and he's going to try to get rid of you. That's what he does. Now, that is not someone that you ever want to play games with or approach closely to, to make compromises with, or to listen to. He only has your ill will in mind. And so our enemy, he sees no boundaries, so he has no qualms about hurting children or hurting the sick or hurting the weak or kicking you when you're down or lying to you and making it sound like everything's wonderful and fine when in actuality it's a bait and switch. He has no problem with that. That's why scripture urges us to give no landing strip for the devil to work in our lives. You say, I don't remember that verse in the Bible, Will. It's Ephesians chapter four, verse 27. It says, neither give place to the devil. The word there, place, it means a base of operations. That's why I say a landing strip. You don't want to give a beachhead. That would be another way you could translate it, a beachhead, where the enemy would establish a beachhead so they could make inroads into the land that they're invading. Don't give a beachhead to the enemy, all right? What's interesting about that verse is how do we do that? Well, that verse in Ephesians, if you read before and afterwards, it's surrounded by all sorts of things that says, don't do this. Don't lie, don't steal, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Those are the ways that we allow the enemy to have a beachhead in our lives when we tolerate behavior that we know is not right. But we keep it in darkness because we think, well, nobody else sees that. We let corrupt communication out of our mouth and we think, well, it's just me and the girls. My husband doesn't know about that or none of the ladies at church need to know about that. Or it's just the guys at work. We just kind of joke around like that even though it's crass and we shouldn't do that. You know, I participate because, hey, I don't want them to think I'm weird or whatever. No, no, listen, that's, the Lord sees all that and you can't give a landing base of operations to the enemy. And so, you know, I ask you this morning, have you allowed the enemy to have a landing strip in your life, a beachhead in your life? If so, it's time for some demolition, right? Time to knock out the landing strip. 
You know, one of my favorite parts of the movie Fireproof, it's, it's a beautiful movie. I wouldn't say it's the uh, best acted movie, but it's a beautiful movie in regards to the lessons that it, it goes through. But one of my favorite scenes is the, the main character in there, he, he has a problem with pornography and he's trying, to, he's trying to save his marriage and he's trying to do the things that he needs to do to save his marriage. But his wife, as things are getting better, his wife sees the porn on the computer and, and she just thinks, oh, you haven't changed at all. And he realizes he has to do something about this. This is a beachhead in his life. And so the next scene, you see him outside, and he's taking a baseball bat to his computer, to his desktop. And I love that scene. He's doing demolition on the landing strip, literally. And some of you need to do demolition. Some of you need to take this thing and go take it and smash it. Smash it and then go get a dumb phone. Serious. Because the smartphone is the landing base of operations for the devil to put the porn through or whatever it might be. If you've got something like that, you know, in your life, you need to demolish it. Otherwise, he'll still be able to make inroads in your life. This desperate father, he's in this situation and he finally brings himself to trying Jesus. Jesus is my last cope. But when he gets there, the situation is worse. Jesus isn't there when he arrives, and the disciples aren't able to help him. Look at verse 40. And I besought, I begged. The idea, I kept on begging your disciples to to cast the demon out, but they could not. They couldn't help him. Now, if that doesn't make your heart break, nothing will. I have four kids, and when they start sneezing, I start getting worried. You know, when they're sick, you hope it's just something that's no big deal, and you pray that it goes away quickly, right? I couldn't imagine dealing with something like this, where it's not something that's a small deal. It's a big deal, that you look at him and you go, he may be this way forever. I may not have my son for a long time. If you have a a hurting child right now as a parent, my heart goes out to you. I don't know, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like being in this situation, so Jesus was his last hope, but all he's found is more disappointment. So he, he, you can understand why he's going, you have to do something, Jesus. You, you, have to, you have to pay special attention to my son. Nobody else can help him. Now, how does Jesus respond? Well, look at verse 41. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring your son hither. That doesn't sound like the nicest response, does it? Like you read it at first and you kind of go, wow, that's kind of hardcore, Jesus. Like, like here's this dad and he's heartbroken and he's got this desperation in his voice and you're like, how long do I have to put up with you losers? (laughs) Bring your son over here. I mean, that's kind of how it comes off at first read, of course. So what exactly is Jesus saying and doing here? Well, the word they're faithless, it means unbelieving or disbelieving. In other words, this is a generation that isn't trusting God and is, or is rejecting what God says. They're not trusting what God says or they're rejecting what God says. Secondly, perverse there, it means when you cause someone to turn away from right behavior and to get them to engage in serious wrong behavior. So what's interesting, though, is that it's in the passive, which means it's not that they were doing that, encouraging people to leave right behavior and to do wrong behavior, but they had allowed themselves to be misled. He says, what he's saying here, you've been, been made perverse. You've allowed yourselves to be misled into a wrong way of thinking that leads to a wrong way of acting. 
So Jesus says, oh, this generation, the culture around me, it's, it doesn't trust God, it rejects what God says, and it's allowed itself to, to be filled with a different idea of God that's not right. That leads to wrong behavior. When he says, how long shall I be with you, exist in that condition, in this condition, how long shall I suffer you, which means to bear up under a burden. This was hard for Jesus to be in a world like this. I mean, can you imagine what it was like? Jesus in all eternity, he's never known anything but everything going the way it's supposed to, right? I mean, in heaven, there's, there's, I guarantee you, there are no job evaluations for the angels. Like, there's no, like, the, Michael comes out and he goes, Gabriel, yeah, boss needs to meet with you. Like, yeah, I knew this was coming, man. I dropped the ball with that whole Syria thing. You know, no, no, that wasn't it. I mean, that doesn't happen. There's no, there's no uh, what they would call them. They used to call them disciplinary forms. I think now today they call them like counseling forms or they call them worker improvement encouragement forms or something like that. Basically means you messed up, but the boss has to be nice to you when he tells you you messed up. I mean, there's none of that going on in heaven. Everything happens as it's supposed to. Jesus, he taught us to pray to say what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. How? We want everything here to be like it is there. Perfect. Everything submitted to God, yielded to God, and under his feet, right? Now, the Bible says we do not see all things under his feet yet, but that's our prayer, that he'll put all things under his feet and right every wrong and make it wonderful. Can you imagine, though, not only was that what it was like for Jesus, and he left that to come into our world, our broken world, but now he's just been on the mountain, and there's Moses and Elijah talking to him. And there's the Father's glory again, right? Speaking truth. Can you imagine what it was like to be on that mountain again? It was a taste of heaven again. No wrong ideas, no sin, no self-will, none of the consequences that come from such behavior, no sickness, nothing. Everything was as it should be. And what happens? That beautiful moment's interrupted by Peter's, hey, how about we build three tents and, you know, we just start the revolution right here. You're like, you know, if I'm Jesus, I'd be like, Lord, my eyes are fire with all my glory. Can I get them? That's what I would have been like, because this is interrupting a really beautiful moment. Jesus, being a man, experiences the same thing we feel when we see something horribly wrong. He hates it. He hates it. He doesn't want to be in it, and he wants to stop it. Stopping it, of course, would require destroying everything, destroying us. And so... Instead, he says, how long will he have to endure our fallen world? That's what he's saying. How long do things have to be this way? How long do I have to be in it this way? Who is Jesus talking to? Well, Matthew 17, which is his account of this situation, in that after this is all done and he casts out the demon, it says that the disciples come to him privately and they said, hey, uh, hey boss, we, uh, why couldn't we cast the demon out? I'm gonna give you my translation. Because of your unbelief. Because I was up there praying, and I, you were supposed to be down here praying, but apparently you were on your smartphone playing Candy Crush or something like that all night instead of praying. That's my translation. He says to him, he goes, because of your unbelief, you weren't trusting the Lord, you weren't, you weren't prayed up for this, you weren't ready for this. And then he instructs him, he goes, this is a powerful situation. You're dealing with something that requires supernatural involvement from the Lord. You can't do this on your own. So you all thought you could just do it on your own. You weren't prepared for it, and you couldn't do it. So because of your unbelief, you weren't trusting the Lord, trying to do it in your own strength. Surely, from what we read there that Matthew 17 says, his phrase here surely implicates the disciples. He's frustrated from the sense that they couldn't do this because they weren't trusting the Lord. They were self-sufficient instead of prayed up for the encounter, and it showed. But I think Jesus, even though I think it implicates the disciples, 
I think he's mostly just referring to how things were in all of Israel. Israel had God's word. They had centuries of of prophets who had come and taught them God's word. They, They had Jesus, the son of God himself, and his teaching on what the Messiah was to do and how they were supposed to treat each other and how they were supposed to love one another, how they were supposed to pray. But even his closest disciples didn't get it. And as a result, what's everyone more concerned about? They're more concerned about destroying enemies and setting up kingdoms than helping a suffering child. Here's the question that I would ask. Why wasn't the entire crowd praying for this poor man and his son when Jesus came down? Why isn't that the situation Jesus found? Why, Why was it just the dad who's crying out for this boy and not the entire crowd saying, Jesus, you gotta do something? Why is that not happening? Because they're more concerned with building their own kingdom and destroying enemies. If that thought doesn't challenge the church in the United States, we're never going to see revival in our nation again. You go to other places that are particularly under persecution, they're not worried about who's going to be their next president. They're worried about whether they're going to go into the next village and get killed because they're Christians. Now, I'm not saying it to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise about how we do those things. But my point is, our goal is not to build a kingdom here. Our goal is to build a spiritual kingdom, Christ's kingdom. That's our goal. Our goal, if we're, and if we want to see revival in our nation, it has to start with us here. We have to stop trying to build our own little kingdom. And we have to see the hurting people that are around us. We need to be praying now, one person I know for sure Jesus was not talking to is the Father. He is not talking, because that's how it comes off at first. He is not talking to the Father. Because we know from another text that he turns to the Father and he says, another gospel, he says to him, he says, listen, after he says, oh, perverse generation, he turns to the dad and he says, listen, he goes, if you believe, anything's possible. And the Father <laughs> breaks my heart. <laughs> Lord, I believe. <laughs> Help my unbelief. I'll do whatever I gotta do. I trust you, but Lord, whatever's lacking in me, help me with it because I want my son to get help. He, I mean, it's a precious, tender moment there you know, between Jesus and the Father. So I know he's not talking about him. So after he laments the, what we've done to our world and how everyone's missing the point that no one's seeing this suffering child except the dad and him, he, he turns to the Father and he says, bring your son here. Verse 42 And as he was yet a coming, the phrase there is a very quaint phrase in the Greek. It means everything's looking fine. The boy's just walking up. As he's walking up, all of a sudden, the devil threw him down and tear him. The word there for tear, it's a different word. It actually is a word used. uh, The Greeks, they they had their Olympic games and things like that. And boxing was one of the part of their Olympic games. You think boxing is violent in our culture or, you know, or MMA or whatever, man. You need to go study what they would do. They would load the gloves down with like, pieces of nail and and iron and things like that. I mean, a lot of the guys, they could barely lift their hands up to to throw the punches. And so when you see the statues they would make, all of the boxers, they always have scars and bruises all over them because of the fact that it was a brutal sport. So the word that's used here for terror is the word that was used when a boxer would give the knockout blow. It would usually be to the death. And so the idea is it would leave the opponent convulsing on the ground. And so this is what the demon did to him. He's kind of the kid's just walking up and boom, the demon gives him a knockout blow, leaving him convulsing on the ground, having one of these epileptic seizures. That would be a, I mean, that'd be a powerful thing if I, that would unnerve me a little bit. I mean, this is a serious issue going on here and a powerful display by this demon. 
But what I love here is that Jesus deals with the demon the same way he dealt with the wind and the waves. It just says, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. It's really simple. It's funny, yeah, well, I see people go through all these elaborate measures to cast out demons and stuff, and I'm like, I don't ever see that in Scripture. Jesus just said, you gotta go, man. You don't, you're not, you're not, I don't approve of what you're doing, so you need to go. That's what the word rebuke means. It means when you speak up because you don't approve of what's going on. And so Jesus, he speaks up and he goes, I'm not down with this. And the demon left him. It was it. It was over. He dealt with the demon the same way he dealt with the wind and the waves. They weren't behaving with his approval. So with a word, he stopped it. Now, what a stark contrast with the disciples who couldn't help this family at all. Isn't it crazy? Jesus just speaks and it's simply over. And not only that, but notice here it says, and he healed the child. Now, we could, some people say, oh, so he healed him from the muscle soreness and the bruises from the epileptic seizure. No, 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 no. The word here actually means to cause someone to achieve health when they've been sick. So not only does Jesus cast the demon out, but he heals the boy's epilepsy so that he is whole. And he returns the child to his father in that condition, perfectly whole. Listen, that's a far more powerful display than the demon gave. The demon thought he was going to give his, his stuff out there and strut his stuff. And the Lord's like, um, you're done. And he was. And he returned the child, not just demon-free, but healed back to his father. That is the power of our Savior. You know, I don't know what you might be facing right now, you know, a situation you might be in. Maybe it's an illness or maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe there are those, the words of the doctor or the words of the collection company or the words of your boss or whatever. They may sound pretty powerful and they may have you in a place where you're unnerved, but Jesus, with a word, he can make it all better. He just has to speak the word and he can fix it all. He is very powerful. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.